have the business you want, or is it driving you crazy? A recent survey said 70% of business owners are dissatisfied with some aspect of their business. That's why we created Driving Biz, the number one source of business information. We have the leading experts from around the world as guests each week. So enjoy and love your business. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a real great treat today. I've been waiting for this for weeks. This We have in our presence Bob Chapman, who was recently named the Farcio CEO of the Year by the Society of Human Resource Management, SHRIM for short. And the number one, the number three CEO in the world by Inc. And a leading social capital CEO by International Business Times. Now, Bob Chapman is, is very intentionally intentional about building a better world. And he does this as CEO of Barry Weimiller a $3.2 billion capital equipment firm that he has transformed by applying a unique blend of strategy and culture to a struggling $20 million business. Now, today, Barry Weimiller is the combination of 120 acquisitions and 112,000 teammates in... 28 countries. Now, Chapman's journey from traditional management to truly human leadership is what's so inspiring. And we're going to talk about that journey today. Welcome, Bob. It's good to be with you. And I look forward to a dialogue that I hope touches the hearts of the people who have the chance to listen to our message. You know, Bob, all your journey started at a wedding several years ago when you were looking at the bride and groom and realized that was what a company was actually doing for people. Tell us about that journey when you were at that wedding. Um, I call these, Alan, uh, revelations, and I believe some higher power is, has revealed to me a different way of seeing the world, uh, a more human way to see the world. And so I was at a wedding, which we all have had the blessing to be a part of, where a friend of mine's daughter was um, being walked down the aisle by my friend. And I very traditional wedding service. And, it, and he got to the altar and he said, her mother and I give our daughter to be wed to this young man. Most people are focusing on the ceremony. I, my mind was in a different place and I was thinking of my role in this world and all of a sudden I had a revelation and because I, I was watching this precious young lady and precious young man and that day the lens through which I saw people because prior to that wedding ceremony I was a nice guy, we had a nice company uh, but I saw people as a function for my success. I needed these people or my success. And that wedding reversed it. And I thought, you know what? All 12,000 people that work in our organization around the world are not engineers, accountants, laborers, 
you know, receptionists, uh, accountants, there's somebody's precious child that's been placed in my care for 40 hours a week. And the way I treat them will have a profound impact on their, their marriage, their relationship with their children, their relationship with life. And that revelation occurring at a wedding transformed my, my view of the people in my span of care. And I would say to you, Alan, and, and I think I gave 54 talks around the world last year, that simple story of the, the revelation of the wedding is what people of every level of intelligence, of every language and culture in the world can relate to. The way we see people affects the way we treat the people we have the privilege of interacting with. Another revelation came when you took over the South Carolina company and you were empowered to turn this struggling company around. Can you tell us the revelations you had there? Yeah, that was actually the first of the revelation. Uh, it was a significant acquisition. It was about a $55 million company uh, that I was not doing that well financially that we thought we could make better. And I flew down to be there the first day. It was March of 1997, which is when March Madness is very much a subject in South Carolina. And I walked into that lunchroom. First day, I was the new steward of this company. And people didn't know me. I didn't know them. So I was just having a cup of coffee, watching behavior. And I saw people having fun talking about what school basketball team won, what was going to be in the final four, how they were doing in the pool. And I, again, I didn't know him, so I wasn't talking to him, but I was just observing. But I, and, and I had to put this together after the fact because I didn't know what I was experiencing. So I walked to my first meal. When it got closer to 8 o'clock when the office opened, I could just see the fun go out of people's body when they went to work. So I walked into my first meeting with our customer service team because it's a significant part of this business, and I wanted to just kind of connect with them and how we're going to treat our customers better. And I said to him, stimulated by what I saw in the lunchroom, we're going to play a game. Whoever sells the most parts each week wins $100. And if the team makes a team goal, the team will make $100. I never tried it, never thought of it. It just came out of me as a result of watching March Madness. I came back 13 weeks later. Revenue was up by 20%. And joy was up by 1,000%. And I said, what happened? I just wanted people to have fun, trying to make a game out of, you know, winning. And people said to me, Mr. Chapman, I always thought I was nice to the customer, but now I'm really nice to the customer because I want to win. And what people told me about what it felt like to go home every night knowing exactly where they were, how they were doing, having fun competing individually but as teams, overwhelmed me. I mean, the feedback I got just amazed me. Not only did we create more economic value, but we created dramatic more human value because people, before that, people walked in, sat at their desk, the phone would ring, they'd enter an order, they'd hang up, phone would ring again, they'd go home at night having no idea how they were doing. Okay, they just, they entered orders. This made it fun. They started working together as a team. So I said to myself that day, why can't business be fun? Okay, why do we call it work? When do people express their gifts? When they leave work to play soccer, football, fish, all the things people have fun. 
So what I, what I realized that day is how can I try to align value creation to fun? And, uh, and it had a, that was the first transformative thought I had. Well, well that is, is significant and profound. And this brought you to a whole realization that people are now calling human management. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Alan, we call it truly human leadership. And let me just go back to a word you use, the word management. My talks, I said, in my college education, I took management classes, got a management degree, and then I got a job in management. So what did I think? I thought I was supposed to manage people. I had a better education, a better position. I would tell people what to do, and they would do it, and it felt good. And what I've realized now is that you can't manage anybody. Nobody wants to be managed. And so why do we call people managers instead of leaders, coaches, and mentors? And so it reversed exactly my view again of my responsibility. My job was not to manage people. My job was to motivate people in alignment with our vision and recognize and celebrate their success along that journey and have some fun doing it. And that's what that was, again, a huge part of our transformation is is to eliminate the word management, because the word management means, in my opinion, the manipulation of others for my success. Leadership is the stewardship of the lives we have the privilege of leading. It's a completely different view of senior positions. Uh, And again, I was interviewed by Washington University professors one time, and they said to me, uh, you know, Mr. Chapman, you're the first CEO in this hour and a half interview, the first CEO we've ever talked to that you never talked about your product. And I paused a second. And I said, I've been talking about our product for the last hour and a half. It is our people. I will not go to my grave proud of the machinery we build. I will go to my grave proud of the people who built that machinery, which caught them completely off guard. So this reversal of the way I saw people through these revelations you're talking about changed my sense of responsibility to those people whose lives I had the privilege of impacting. Now, the other thing that you came out in this leadership process is you were able to develop, which I think in in leadership for the first time was a leadership checklist. Can you talk about your reasoning behind that? Yes, we are blessed since the late 80s to have a corporate jet and interacting with the pilots. I know whether you're flying on a commercial flight or a private jet, before you ever put your foot on that jet, the the pilots, whether you're working for Transworld Airlines, TWA or American Airlines, whoever, that the first thing the pilots do is they have the discipline of making sure that everything is right. So when people put their foot on that plane, they're safe. And so when we were thinking about creating a university to teach leadership, I said, why don't we create a leadership checklist? Things leaders need to think about every day as they step into their role as leaders to take nothing for granted. So that when people place their their hearts and souls in our care for a day, for the day, that we as leaders have left nothing for granted, that we constantly are thinking 
Are we being a good steward? Have we thought about the various recognition and celebration, uh, the, uh, making sure people feel valued? So we created a leadership checklist similar to what the pilots have so that you are safe. And when you put your foot in a plane, you're safe for our pilots. When you put your foot in our buildings, you're safe in our care. So the idea, take nothing for granted as leaders because people's hearts and souls are in our hands. And so that was the idea of the leadership checklist. Take nothing for granted. Yeah. And I agree. You know, in my former life, I was a cosmetic doctor. And one of the uh, the cornerstones of being a doctor when you go into the operating room is the checklist. And you must do it before an operation and you must do it after an operation. Because heaven forbid, if you left a surgical towel inside of somebody, what kind of havoc that would do. So you have to have your counts correct. You have to have your instruments correct. You have to have everything correct. So the the checklist is something that's so important. But I think one of the greatest things that's happened is we allow people now to do checklists. We have risen to the maturity level that it's not all kept in our brain that we can actually go through that checklist to make it happen. Well, when you're talking about the safety of lives, which pilots are, or surgeons are, what about the safety of lives as, as leaders of companies? Because remember, we were told that the person you report to at work is more important to your health than your family doctor. When we talk about safety in business, we can talk about we don't want your hands to get in a machine. We don't want your eyes to be hit by sparks flying. What about the safety of your soul? Okay, is safety just a physical safety or is safety a mental safety that people feel valued? So to me, you could lose a finger and we think it's horrible, but what happens when you lose your soul because you're not valued, you're not treated with respect and dignity and eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, we have you. So I'd say, Alan, from our experience, uh, and again, you asked me the question that I didn't actually answer as articulately. We, uh, before Simon Sinek, we called it people-centric leadership. Leadership focused on the people we have the privilege of leading. Simon Sinek's an anthropologist, he came in, he heard about it, he didn't believe it. He came in, and spent two days talking to our people. And he looked at me after two days of dialogue with our people with no orchestration in advance. He just came in with his own agenda, talked to our people and he said, I'm no longer a nutty idealist. I've just seen what I dream of. I dream of a world where you could walk down any street, any day of the week, tap anybody in the shoulder and say, do you like your job? And they say, no, I don't like my job. I love my job. That's the world Simon dreams about. And he said, I saw it in your company. So if it exists, it must be possible. So I'd, so he said, this is not people-centric leadership. This is truly human leadership. This is the way we are called to treat people. We have the privilege of leading, not the job of leading, the privilege of leading. And those people in our span of care are not engineers, accountants, receptionists, hourly workers. There's somebody's precious child who simply wanted their child brought into this world through parenting to be who they're intended to be and appreciated for whatever that is. And we as leaders have a chance to validate the worth of the people we have the privilege of leading. And the leadership checklist is critical to making sure we take nothing for granted 
in that profound role that impacts people's lives. You know, since the pandemic, we've been faced with two realizations. One is the great resignation, and the second one is quiet quitting. Have you been able to uh, affect that positively at the companies that you run? Well, remember, prior to COVID, I've been giving this speech for 15 years. So the the data is really a pre-COVID data. But remember, 88% of all people feel they work for a company that does not care for them. 65% of all people would have given up a salary increase if they could fire their boss. Raj Shizodio told me there's a 20% increase in heart attacks on Monday mornings. And we live in a country where we have TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. So before COVID, we had a pretty dismal environment from every sense of data I get that I work with with all the learning institutions. So, and what COVID did is we said, stay home, do your job from home because, and and we will get, find our way through this. And what people said is, gee, you know what? When I stayed at home, I didn't have to put up with that verbal abuse from my boss. I didn't have to be degraded in my role. So people got away from their boss who they would have liked to fire and we did surveys, people didn't really want to come back to work. Why? Because the environment and work was not very healthy, you know, statistically. So what we really find is, my opinion is, the great resignation, when there's plenty of job opportunities, remember if 65% of people like to fire their boss, most people are unhappy in the role they're in. Some people stay there because of the benefits or the length of service, but most people are doing exactly what it takes. I think it's Three out of four people are disengaged in what they're doing. They're doing exactly what they need to do to exist and not announce more. So prior to COVID, we had that environment. COVID was a, you know, sent those people home in front of their computers, which changed it. And they didn't necessarily want to come back. And when they did, they thought maybe I could change my job. Shortage of people. I get a chance to change jobs. So I would say to you, the great resignation has been our great opportunity. People coming to our culture today, I mean, we hired 420 engineers last year in our consulting business. And they said the number one reason was our culture. Okay, we hired over a thousand people in the world in our company last year. Now, do we have a, a number of people leave? Yes, because we had COVID encouraged some people to retire early. Okay, I mean, COVID changed people's view of work a little bit. They all of a sudden either couldn't go to work or told to stay home or or had to work, but in an environment. So I would say the great resignation has been a great opportunity for us. We have hired some unbelievably talented people to join our company to help create our future because of of the COVID environment. And I would say to you that um, our future has never looked better because people say, if your culture is really like what I read, Mr. Chapman, that's what I want to be a part of. And parents tell me that's where I want my daughter to work, my son to work. I want them to be someplace for their value. So I would say to you, it's amplified our growth and success because people kind of in great resignation just said, I'm going to try something else, even though there's not many good alternatives because we think something else might be better and we find it's just as broken. How do you teach leaders to genuinely care? Good question. I am glad you asked me that question. 
I mean, go back 18 years ago when it began, when we began teaching it. A young man, Brian Wellinoff, was at dinner with me in California. We were doing research on an author who wrote a book on leadership. We're going to have meet him the next day. We're having dinner. Brian had just joined us from his uh, MBA program. He was new, so he didn't know me very well. So he asked a question nobody had asked me. He said, Bob, what is your greatest concern? And I'm an eternal optimist, so I had to think a minute. I said, my greatest concern is we were blessed with the message to could heal the brokenness of the world, where we would learn, teach people how to work and live together where we cared for each other, that it would die with me. So, and I, so we got up the next morning and said, okay, we need, okay, Brian, you surfaced a concern I had. Now, what are we going to do about it? I said, what do great religions do to exist over centuries? They articulate their beliefs, and then they have disciples who validate their beliefs, share their beliefs through stories. So I said, we need to create disciples. So it's not Bob. It's not. This isn't Bob's message. This is our message. We all, in our hearts and souls, know it's right. So we said, we need to start a university to teach people how to become a disciple of truly human leadership. And the three things we teach, Alan, which were eclectic, because we didn't bring academic people together. We brought some very thoughtful people together and say, how do we transform managers who manipulate people into leaders who are stewards of the people they have the privilege of leading? And we teach three fundamental things. The most powerful and foundation of truly human leadership is listening with empathy, not listening with judgment, not listening to debate, but listening to validate. So we teach empathetic listening, an intense three-day class that people tell us changes their life. Second thing we teach is recognition and celebration. How do you let people know they matter, which is a gift. It's a teachable skill, just like listening. And three, culture of service, seizing the opportunity to serve others, to help people move from a me-centric world to a we-centric world. So when we started teaching those three classes, not knowing the power of these together, and then Simon Sinek came in uh, to see it. And his second book, as you said, Leaders at Last, was really all about Barry Wimmer, the transformative experience, Simon, who saw what he dreamed of. So I would say to you, you know, again, Bill Urey of Harvard came in following Simon because Simon said, Bill, you got to see this. Bill's a world peace negotiator. He came in and said he saw the answer to world peace in our company. I said, Bill, how could you come to a manufacturing organization and find the answer to world peace? He said, I found a place where people genuinely care for each other. That is the world I imagined. That is the world where we would have peace when we learn to care for each other, not judge each other, not argue with each other. So I would say to you that, that you know, again, Leaders Eat Last, Simon. Simon really brought a totally different lens to look at what we're doing and began sharing it with the world. So Simon is our biggest advocate supporter and it's actually shaped Simon's thinking too because he's, he, he, he ran into not an academic theory, but what we're actually doing. And he saw it in the words and the hearts and the tears of our people when they talked about it. There are millions of businesses out there that need this transformation. What words of advice do you have for them? Well, my hope is, and again, I, as I said, I gave 54 speeches around the world last year. Our goal is to take this blessing we've been given and bring the world to a transformative way of looking at leadership, not management, 
of leadership. And I would say to you that we realized we were given a gift and we decided it was our responsibility to share it with the world. So we embraced what's called philanthropic capitalism and we created the Chapman Leadership Institute where we look for people who believe what we believe and want to join us in this healing journey. And uh, it's eight years old now. We've got 60 people. This is our outreach, not our primary business of making big capital equipment, but our outreach initiative. And we're dealing with major corporations around the world who when they hear this message and want to join us, we can invite them in and help them change the way they looked at the world. We're very blessed to meet a, a wonderful gentleman. I gave a speech at a church in Dallas and Doug Parker, the chairman of American Airlines, heard me speak, asked me come, to come speak to the 65 global leaders of American Airlines. And after I spoke to his leadership group in Dallas, he came up to me again, a wonderful gentleman, deeply faithful. And he said, I thought my job was to build the world's biggest airline, which I did. But now I know my job is to care for the 130,000 people of American Airlines. This has given me a whole new purpose in life. So here's a perfectly wonderful, deeply religious, fine gentleman who was doing what he thought was the right thing, okay? But when he was exposed to this message, so any of your listeners, first of all, my message is all over the internet and in all kinds of talks, there must be 50 or 60 talks on the internet. We've got, uh, we've got some animated videos of our uh, my TED Talk. We've got the book, and, and, and we've got, of course, the Leadership Institute websites. So I would say, Alan, that we would invite anybody who would like to help heal the brokenness that we're feeling in the world, that we're bringing young children into. And remember, we've had tremendous economic prosperity since the Industrial Revolution. But we have, and we thought that economic prosperity would create happiness and fulfillment. Yet today, with this vibrant economic uh, global economy we have, we have the highest level of depression, anxiety, and suicide we've ever had. And why? Because people don't, it's not about pay, it's not about benefits, it's about the way they're treated in, in the various organizations in the world. Because we never taught the leaders in our organizations to care for people. We taught them to achieve results, market share, profitability, share price. Never to take the privilege they had of leading people and to take that seriously. So we are seeing a tremendous interest in our message. And again, Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities, Chapman and Co-Leadership Institute, Barry Wimley University, all are ways we're trying to affect the world that you are trying to affect for this podcast. Well, thank you, sir. This has been an honor and a privilege to have you on my show. It's been an honor to share messages to the people out there. And, and this is what this show is about, to get the businesses and population to a higher level and a higher meaning of existence. And together we are on the same path to, to cement that. I hope I could attend your university one of these days and actually see your, your business and operation. Well, I know it will touch your heart. I, I, we probably had at least 40 to 50 visitors from around the world, from McKenzie, Harvard, Simon Sinek, and nobody has ever said, Oh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen this before. Everybody's comment, seriously, Alan, is I have never seen anything like this. Grown men and women 
crying because of the way they feel, okay, and valued, and the way it affects their parenting, the way it affects all human relations. So business could, I'll leave you with this statement, business could be the most powerful force for good in the world because we have people in our care for 40 hours a week. And if we treat them with respect and dignity, with a business for the good future, so they feel safe and valued, we could heal the brokenness that concerns us all in the world today. There's no political leader in any country, including ours, at the local and national level, who could do more than we could do in business if we simply cared for the people we had the privilege of leading. Well, thank you, Bob. It has been truly an honor and a privilege. As I said, I looked forward to having you on the show for a long time, and you've exceeded my expectations. My hope is that I do justice to this blessing and seeing people like you smile, which I love about video calls, seeing the message, the message I just shared with you resonate in your face gives me hope that when I leave this world, that we will have created a movement of caring that will begin to heal the brokenness we're all concerned about in the world. In our I've, said, I've said this year can be the best year in our lifetimes. It also can be the worst year in our lifetimes. It all depends how we appreciate it and move towards it. Yeah, and, and, the, and I'll leave you again with the greatest thing we've learned is that the greatest act of caring is to listen to others with empathy and understanding, not judgment to debate. If we had a world where we had the skills of listening, it is a teachable skill, just like speaking is a teachable skill. If we had a world like that, there would be more people smiling like you are right now, Alan. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Bob. Thank you for spending the time with me and putting this time aside. I'm sure this is going to be uh, one of our best episodes ever. My hope is that you, together we can make this world a more caring place for generations to come. So thank you for your time. It's okay. Show. Bye thank for you. now. We hope you enjoyed Driving Biz, where you get the advice of the leading experts of the world. If you want more, you need to join the number one community for business owners, nobull.biz. And for a limited time, you can join at a discounted rate. To learn more, go to nobull.biz.